Excellent. Excellent, excellent. Wonderful. You know, one of the things I've noticed over the last little while is the amount, with the new hospital opening up, the amount of people moving to the coast uh, in the medical profession. We've got doctors and nurses and all sorts of ancillary people. If you're in the medical industry, give me a wave today if that's, that's your world, your life. Wonderful. So many. Come on, let's give all the health professionals a big clap. We love you. We need you. We appreciate you and all that you do. That is so good. I, I actually um, talked... Um, I heard about a doctor whose three-year-old one day picked up the stethoscope of the doctor at home and they're like, oh, this is such a proud moment. My little, my little Johnny wants to be like me when they grow up and they put, they put the stethoscope on, they put it in their ears and it's like, oh, proud parent moment. And then, uh, and then he, he picks it up and puts it to his mouth and says, welcome to McDonald's. Can I please take your order? And so, okay, all right, that's, that's how it works, all right, that's the way it works. Hey, the scripture I want to talk to us today comes from John chapter 11, verse 25, and it's this one. It says, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I am the resurrection and the life. I love this. Resurrection Sunday, it's not just a day that we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the fact that resurrection is a person and his name is Jesus. And if you let him come into your life, he will bring the life of God. He'll bring the resurrection of God into every part of your world. Whatever part of your world that's dead or dying or going downhill, Christ can come and begin to turn that part of your life around. It's the resurrection resurrection life that he wants to bring into your world. And we're going to talk a little bit around that today. First, need to understand what Easter Sunday is all about. You've got, to, you've got to understand what Good Friday was all about, because there's, there's really a significance behind both of these days. There's a significance in Good Friday, and there's a significance in Easter Sunday, and they go together, okay? They go together. The Good Friday message is all about the message of forgiveness, it's the message that tells us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he, he died and took the penalty for our sins upon himself. He paid the penalty for our sins. The Bible tells us in Romans that the wages of our sin is death. The consequence of our sin is death. And you've got to under, if you want to understand death, you've got to understand that, that there's, we're made in three parts. God is a three-part God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning of time, he said, I'm going to make man in our image so he made us like him three body soul and spirit you are a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body okay you are a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body made in the image of God how many want a body upgrade are you ready okay anyone today that's okay especially after all that chocolate and so yeah, we're made in that way. And so the, the Bible tells us that the consequence or the penalty of sin is death. And in that, in that meaning of death, it's not just that something ceases to exist. It separates. It's separated. So when we die physically, all of us will die, and our soul and our spirit will separate from our physical body. And our physical body will, will return to the dust and the ashes from which we came, but we will continue to live on. So that death is a separation. And so the consequence of sin or rebelling against God, which all of humanity faces, is a separation. Our spirit gets cut off from God. We're unable to have a relationship with God. We're unable to hear from God. And that's not what God wanted. 
He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be able to enjoy his love and his peace and his joy, to be able to hear him and to have this close relationship with God. But sin, which is basically doing things our own way, has cut us off from God. It's disconnected us from God. So Jesus came and he paid the price for our sin. He, he went to that cross and the Bible tells us that God took the sin of every human being and in one moment placed it upon Christ. And when he went to the cross, God said he's paying the penalty for every sin of every person who's ever lived or whoever will live. And in that moment, the greatest news on the planet is that we could be forgiven of our sin. And here's the deal. Sin's, sin's pretty, um, it's deceptive. It promises everything. Sin promises pleasure. It promises happiness. It promises power. It promises independence. But eventually, as we go that way, further away from God, what, the Bible says it like this, it tastes like honey, but it ends up like stones in our stomach. It will, it will deceptively control us. It will trap us. It will hold us back. And the thing that we once pursued that we got a kick out of now is controlling and entrapping our life. That's the deceptiveness of sin. And so when Jesus came, he came not just to, to kind of oh, say, okay, everything's going to be all right. He actually paid the penalty for our sin. And he offered us forgiveness. And forgiveness, literally, the, the word forgiveness in, in its original meaning refers to like a caged animal being set free from a trap. That's what Jesus did on Good Friday. That's what he did. He paid the price for our sin so that we could be set free from the snare, from the trap of our sin, okay? He set us free from that death that separated us from God. It's the power of sin, or the power of, sorry, forgiveness, I don't know about you, but if any of you are voucher lovers, whether you've got, we've got at home a, a little cupboard, which any, every time we get a voucher, it gets put in the cupboard so we don't forget about it. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? My wife has switched on. She, she puts them into a little app so that we can have a record of we've got this voucher and its expiry date and when we need to use it by. Do you know Australians give $2 billion worth of gift vouchers every year? $2 billion worth of gift vouchers. And you know what? 70 million of them are not actually redeemed. That's $70 million that's spent by us with happy retailers around the country who, who then aren't, by the, aren't actually reclaimed or redeemed by the used by date. Danielle recently was given a gift and she went to claim it. It was an experience and she went to claim it and she rang up the, the, uh, the person who ran the business and he's like, oh, I hate vouchers. They're so inconvenient. We're like, dude, you've already been paid. And she's like, well, I want to come on a Saturday. And he goes, oh, no, that's when all my good customers come. I'm like, mate, we've already paid for this. You've got the money, surely. You can let us come. And anyway, just helping some retailers out there understand the grief that's with those, those of us, okay, where there's expiry day. But here's, here's, the, here's the reality. Jesus has paid the price for your forgiveness. He has paid the price. There's a voucher with your name on it that is the forgiveness. Not just, not just the forgiveness of your sin, but the cleansing of your conscience. The, the weight of guilt that all of us live under, whether co consciously or subconsciously, there's this weight that we have on the inside. And when Jesus shed his blood, from God's point of view, that cleansed every person. Shame is lifted off our lives. We just have to claim the voucher. 
We've got to claim it. We've got to receive the forgiveness. It won't apply to you. And can I tell you, as much as I hate used by dates on vouchers because the money's already been paid, there is a used by date on the voucher of your for your forgiveness. And it's the day you die. There will come a moment where you'll stand before God and the, the, the voucher opportunity has expired. You can't get to heaven and go, Oh, flip, I'm sorry. Wow, I received that forgiveness. That voucher can only be used while we're here on planet Earth. In fact, you've got nothing to lose by accepting the forgiveness that Christ has offered. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain by accepting what he did at the cross. The Bible tells us in 1, in 1 John verse one, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we've got to own up. We've got to admit, I've blown it. I've been independent from God. I've hurt people. I've, I've, I've done wrong stuff. I've got angry. I've cheated. I've lied. All, and the Bible says all of us have fallen short of God's glory. So we've got to confess our sins. And if we do it, he is faithful to cleanse us. Oh, I love that. I, I, I love the feeling of getting my conscience cleaned. I remember as an eight-year-old kid lying in my bed one night and, and it was, I, was, my, I was in a Christian family and God began to put his, we use this word conviction, his Holy Spirit began to convict me. And I started to feel bad about some lies I told my parents. And so I went out of my bedroom into my, because I've got, my conscience is disturbed. So I went out and into there, knocked on the door. Can you forgive me for I've done this stuff wrong? And I go back to my bed and I'm like, oh, that feels a little bit better. And then the Holy Spirit, then, then my conscience comes awakened again. What about those, those bad words you said about your parents? Back I go into the room, knock on the door. I'm so sorry for this stuff that I've done. And then I go back to my bed and I'm starting to feel a bit lighter. But then there's another thing that I've done. And I go back and my parents are like, what else is going to come out tonight? I'm sure of it. And I knock on the door and I say, I'm really sorry for giving you these rude signs when you weren't looking. Okay. Okay, don't judge me. Some of you have been there. Some of you got no idea what I'm talking about. But you know what? This is what I remember more than I remember the feeling of the conviction, my conscience being awakened. But I remember when I got it out and I confessed it and they said they forgive me. And I was, it was with tears. It was genuine. I remember going back to bed with that feeling of a cleansed conscience. And there's those of us around these in the world today, and, and psychologists will tell us it's a mental illness, it's not your fault, but often we act at some of the mo most powerful things that are going wrong with our society at an emotional and mental level are because our consciences are guilty for things that we've done. And we're trying to blame it on physiological issues, but actually it's the guilt that we're carrying on the inside. And Jesus Christ on Good Friday died on a cross so that we can be cleansed from the things, the mistakes and the sins of our past. It's the great news for all humanity. He wants us to be free. So that's the Friday. The voucher's there. Will you claim it today? At the end of the service, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And there'll be an opportunity, a moment, if you would, to respond to Christ and say, okay, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Would you forgive me? You can be as specific as you like. But essentially, I'm sorry for living life independent from you. I'm turning to you today. That will be a powerful moment should you choose to pray that prayer. Well, then you go, well, that was Friday. I said, then why the Sunday? Why, why the resurrection from the dead? Why, why did he come back? Because if, if sin's already been dealt with, 
That means I can get to heaven. That means I can be forgiven. That means Jesus, you know, because Jesus could have done all that he did when he, when he died on the cross for our sin and for our suffering. He went down to hell. He pre- the Bible says he preached to the spirits down there. He took the keys of hell and death off, off the devil, which is awesome now. The devil doesn't even have a key to his own house. That's funny. I like that. Jesus took it off him. Then it says he ascended into heaven. And you know what? He could have stayed there and we could still go to heaven. It was done with. And so then when we baptize people like tonight, we might as well just hold them under. And you just go straight to heaven. But good news is he came back on Sunday. So that means you will be risen out of that baptism tank. We're not just saying, that's good news. There's about 20 people tonight going to get water baptized, identifying that when Jesus died, it was so that your spirit died at that moment so that you could be made brand new. You could be forgiven. The, the past wiped away. And so what's, what's the story? What, why the resurrection? Why this significant day on the Christian calendar and, and humanity's calendar? Well, there's a couple of reasons, and I'm, I'm going to touch on a few of them. There's multiple reasons. One is that the resurrection is, was one of the most significant proofs that Jesus was divine by nature. You see, you can follow every religion and then you can find where the founder, where, they, where their grave is, where they died. They're not with us anymore. Christianity is the only religion, if you use it in those terms, it's the only religion where the founder, the star of the show, is still alive today. He's overcome death. He's not just someone who had an idea, an enlightened moment, and then got a whole lot of people following him. The resurrection proves that Christ is the Son of God. Now, I want to I help some of us here today. The, the other proof is that the miracles he did, the two things, overwhelmingly, when Peter preached, he said, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. So everywhere Jesus went, he did these miracles, and those were signs that pointed to his divinity, that he is God, not just a man. In fact, if, if you've bought into the, the, the statement, oh, Jesus was a good guy and a good teacher, but I don't know whether he was God, you know what? He can't be a good guy and not God because the claims that he made would either be the claims of someone who's genuinely the son of God or they're a lunatic. He asked people to follow him to their own death. He asked people to, to go into the world and that they'd be punished and they would suffer for the, for the message that he was the son of God. So you, you can't tell me someone who does that is a good person but not God. He's either God or he's a crazy, de- uh, deceived person who caused a lot of pain in the world. And the fruit of his life is a lot of joy and a change and transformation. So the signs and wonders proved to, uh, pointed to him being the son of God. But his resurrection was probably the most emphatic thing when he came and rose from the dead and then never died again. His disciples saw him ascend into heaven. That is one of the most powerful things. And I want to uh, ask you today, maybe you're here and you've, you've just got some intellectual questions about the resurrection. Did it really happen? You find it hard to believe. And I respect that. I respect that that's a, that's a, that's a genuine thought process to go through. And I, I would encourage you, if that's, if that's a genuine reason that you don't have a, a faith in God, then why don't you do some research? 
Why don't you not take someone's word for it, but actually do some research yourself? A good place to start would be to, to read a book called The Case for Christ, or, or to, if you're not so much a book reader, but a movie lover, watch the movie A Case for Christ. This is by a guy called Lee Strobel. He, was a, he, he became a, a journalist and then went on and did a master's in law, and he worked at the Chicago Tribune, one of America's most powerful uh, magaz- uh, newspapers, and he won the highest honor for public service in journalism for his investigation investigative journalism. So he was, for 14 years, he became the editor of the legal section of the Chicago Tribune. One day, his wife starts going to a church in in Chicago, and he's like, there goes my wife, I'm going to lose her. She's going to become one of those holy rollers. We're never going to have fun again in our life. That's the the thought process he's going. There goes sex for the rest of my life. He's starting to think, he's seeing this, he's going to become a nun. I don't know what's going to happen. So so he met someone, they said, he said, is this a cult? What's going on? What do I do? How do I stop this? They said, well, why don't you use all your skills, your investigative skills, to research and disprove it? And then you, you can then show her those, that information, and that'll put it all to an end, and it'll just be a little phase she goes through. So he begins to use his legal and journalistic investigative skills and begins to research, flying across the country, archaeologists, scientists, historians, people uh, not of the Christian faith and those of the Christian faith to find out what does the actual science and, and history point to about the resurrection? Is it the greatest hoax of humanity or did it actually happen? And, uh, and so his, his discovery, and I, I suggest you watch this movie if you're interested, if you're searching, don't, don't pre-make a decision without looking at some facts, if you're searching. And so his discovery at the end of it was, was that he was so confronted with the overwhelming evidence that the resurrection had happened, both from eyewitnesses who recorded it, but for also Jewish, Jewish non-believers who recorded it as well. He was so overwhelmed with it that he then began a heart journey. He started with a head journey. But then he went on a heart journey to go, well, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, what does this mean for me? And he ended up converting to Christianity from being a hardcore atheist to being a person who's traveled the world for the last 25 years, telling people about the science you thought was real is not actually accurate. So can I encourage you today, open up your eyes because the resurrection is actually one of the most powerful truths of who Jesus is, the Son of God. Let's come into the last part of what I want to talk about here today. And this is out of John eleven twenty five, 25. And we referred to this earlier. It said, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after, even after dying. They will live even after dying. He's talking about a spiritual life. Colossians 2 verse 12 says this, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him... You were raised to new life. So you were buried. That's, that's your spiritually, the old you died when you were baptized and when you received the forgiveness that God offers. Your, your, the old you is gone. But when you were raised, it was raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Here's, here's the great news of Easter Sunday. It's not just that we're forgiven of our sins is that God has a new life for every one of us to live, a new powerful life that will get into every part of our world. I was sharing a few weeks ago in our church, I did this research around people who had had heart or organ transplants. And it's an increasingly um, studied phenomena, and it's known as cellular memory. 
that those who receive a heart transplant, an organ transplant, liver or whatever it might be, that something transfers in the moment of, of someone getting that new heart or that new organ, something of the original owner transfers to them. It's quite amazing what happens. I'll read you some of the stories of people. So Claire Sylvia is someone who had a heart and lung transplant. She was dying and she needed new life and she received a heart and lung transplant. As soon as she woke up from the operation, she said, I'm dying for a beer. And she'd never liked beer before in all her life. I'm dying for a beer. Uh, she, then, she then began to have cravings for green peppers, Snickers chocolate, McDonald's chicken McNuggets, things that she'd never enjoyed all of her life. And so she did some research and found out that this young man, Tim, who died and she'd received his heart and received his love, liver, loved beer, loved chicken McNuggets, and had actually on the way home from his, his accident where he died had just had chicken McNuggets. They found them in the car. Cellular memory transferred. Another one, Amy Tippins, received a liver transplant. And after surgery, the 17-year-old developed cravings for hamburgers that she'd never, ha- she'd never enjoyed hamburgers in her life. So, someone's like, I need, a, I need something that'll give me cravings for healthy food. Wouldn't that be, that would be awesome. Okay, cravings for hamburgers. And it suddenly acquired a complex do-it-yourself hardware skills. I need those. Uh, and a keen sense of civic duty. And they found out that the donor of her liver was a U.S. Marshal who loved, his favorite food was hamburgers. He loved to work with his hands and do building projects at home. Here's another one, Bill Wall. He had a heart transplant. And uh, while while he was listening, after the operation, he was listening to a song on the radio by Sade. We worked out. How many of you know who Sade is? Okay, yep, okay. All right, five of us, awesome. Okay, Sade. And suddenly was reduced to tears. Never heard it. Suddenly is reduced to tears. Finds out that the favorite singer of the the, the donor of the heart, favorite singer was Sade. Then, then finds out that, that suddenly they've got this special energy and interest for outdoor activities. Love cycling, love kayaking, love risky stuff. And they find out that their donor was a Hollywood stuntman who loved outdoor activities. Suddenly, uh, uh, there was a transplant of something physical, but with it came the change, uh, a change in terms of, of cravings or appetite, uh, uh, in terms of um, a, a change of skills that people got, new emotions that they got. Someone woke up and they just suddenly had issues with rage and they'd never really had anger issues. They had issues with rage and they found out that the, the heart donor had actually died in a bar fight and they, they were a person who struggled with fighting and with rage. So th- to me, this is quite fascinating of what can be transferred, but it tells us this. When a person receives Jesus Christ, something miraculous happens. This is what's called resurrection life. The Bible tells us when a person receives Christ that God takes your spirit. Remember your spirit, soul, and body. Your body's going to die eventually. You'll get a new, bo- you'll get a new body uh, when Jesus returns. But your spirit is dead or cut off from God. But when you are born again, when you turn to God and are forgiven, the Bible tells us we get born again. We become a brand new spirit. The nature 
nature of the DNA of Jesus Christ comes alive in us. That's the seed. You've got the seed of your parents inside of you and you have certain habits and looks and appearances and, and preferences because of your human DNA. But when you get born again, this is what happens. You get a brand new spiritual DNA. You get the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ. And so sometimes people will say to me, John, I couldn't become a Christian. I, I just, I've tried to read the Bible and it's boring and it makes no sense to me. I couldn't become a Christian. I've seen all you happy clappers at church, clapping along, singing, waving your hands in the air, you know, singing in these tongues and other weird and wonderful kind of things. I, I couldn't do that. I've got no taste or appetite for that. You know, I, I couldn't be a Christian because I like doing this stuff and, and I, I think I'd have to give that up if I became a Christian. And the idea too many people have is that if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to stop being a bad person and I'm going to have to start being a good person. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about a new life birthed from Jesus Christ. And suddenly, just like the heart donor, the heart recipient, you get the nature of God. Your appetite starts to change. You get this Bible and it comes alive to you because the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, is living on the inside of you. You start to read it and it's talking to you. You can't put it down. Why is that? Because of willpower? No, it's because you got a brand new life. Christ came on the inside. You're like, I can't wait to get to church. I love worshiping. Something's changing and transforming in my life. What is that? Because you became a new person. Not just a bad person trying to be a good person. Not just an all right person trying to be a bit better of a person, but someone who receives the resurrection power of God. So this is the way it works. You become born again. God's spirit lives in you. You're a new creation. And bit by bit, things start to change. Your relationships just start to shift. Your, your emotional world starts to get transformed. Your, your mindsets, your thinking starts to shift. You, you, you find, you know, some people will say it like this, oh, Christians, they're just trying to brainwash you. That's what they're doing down at that church. They're just trying to brainwash you. If just for a moment, you could have a look at some of my thoughts that I'm not proud of, some of my judgmental thoughts, some of my angry thoughts, some of my lustful thoughts. Just, just for a moment, if I could give you a window of just some of my thoughts, you would know, get that guy to church. He needs brainwashing. His mind needs to be cleansed. If we could look at some of your thoughts about yourself, the doubts that you've got about yourself, the way you judge yourself harshly, the way you compare yourself to others and think, I could never be that, and you put yourself down and you live a second-class life because in your mind you're thinking certain things that aren't really the way God created you. But whether it's upbringing, circumstances, life or whatever, you're living under this cloud. I'm telling you, we need brainwashing. We need our mind renewed. We need our heart uh, healed from the brokenness, the pain, the, the, the hurt that's happened to us, the damage we've done to others, the guilt we carry. And that's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's about the life of God coming into you. You open the door. You say, God, I'm sorry. I've been going my way. Would you forgive me? You turn and you start to walk towards God. And in that moment, the greatest miracle happens. You become born again brand new, a different person. That's why we watched some videos of people up on the screen earlier. It wasn't willpower that changed them. 
It wasn't incredible preaching week in, week out that changed them. Just a little tiny, little, little, little. No, it was that, that God's word washes us clean. It's that the atmosphere of a family who love us and accept us the way we are, but love us too much to leave us the way we are. That's who God is. See, I don't want you to come to church once a year at Easter and then once a year at Christmas. I don't mind if today is the day where you begin your relationship with God or not. I'd really love it if it was. But my main thing is I want you to go on a spiritual journey. I want you to go on a spiritual journey of discovering who God is, experiencing His love, experiencing the joy of breathing air free from condemnation, letting God come and change you from the inside out. It's a remarkable thing. Then the rest of your life is this wonderful journey of discovering who I now am in Jesus Christ, who I've been born again to be. That's the joy of discovery. I want us to close our eyes right across this place. Father, I just thank you so much for your incredible love that sent Jesus, paid the penalty for our sin, gave us a voucher for forgiveness, has broken the trap that will enslave us and keep us in cycles of destruction. I thank you that you want us to have new life, to be changed from the inside. And Lord, there are people today here and they're struggling, struggling with thoughts of is it worth going on, struggling with thoughts of self-doubt, Struggling with thoughts of guilt and shame. God, they're struggling with thoughts about what's the purpose to my life. And today in your love, through that moment at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, you're reaching into us, offering us hope, forgiveness, and a fresh start. I'm asking Holy Spirit, but today would be the beginning of a, new, a journey for so many people. This is what I'm going to do right now. This is why every eye is closed. I'm going to ask in a moment if you would like to be forgiven of your sins and you've never asked God to forgive you. You'd like to do that today. If you'd like to surrender your life to God, in a moment I'm going to ask you in your seat while eyes are closed just to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come out the front. This is just a, your moment with God. We want to help you walk with God, but I'm not going to bring you out the front. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer sitting in your seat that we all pray together. I won't point you out. If you're here this morning and you're like, John, uh, there is something missing. I, I'm, I'm aware that inside of me there's this emptiness. Can I tell you that God wants to fill that? In fact, you'll never find the fulfillment that you're created for without a relationship with God. You are created for a relationship with God. No other thing can substitute what you're designed to carry, which is that friendship with Jesus Christ. Maybe there was a point where you made a decision to follow God, but you haven't followed through on that. Maybe it was Sunday school. Maybe it was kids' church. Maybe it was youth group. But right now you know God's not number one in your life, and you want Him to be. You want to connect with him. In a moment, if that's you, you want to come back to God, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. 
Maybe you're just not sure in your heart if you're going to go to heaven when you die. You're hoping. You're a good person. You hope that outweighs the bad, but you're just not confident. I'd love to pray with you today so that you can have the assurance in your heart that you're right with God. So right across this room right now, I can sense God's presence here. I can sense for some people, this is like a line in the sand that you're going to step over into a brand new part of your life with God in the middle. Come back to Him. Step towards Him. So this is what I'm going to do. I want you, if this is you right now, if this is you, you're saying, I'm one of those three. I want to begin a relationship with God. I want the forgiveness of my sin. Or I want to come back to Him because I'm away from Him. Or I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. Right now, if that's you, would you just raise your hand up and say, John, that's me. I want God in my life today. I want to connect with God. Just raise it up real high so I can see it. Awesome. Thank you. These two ladies over here, wonderful. Who else up the back there? Fantastic, man. That's great. Who else right now? You just this, this is your moment. This is like God's been orchestrating your week, your months, building up to this moment because He cares so much about you. And this is your moment to surrender to Him. If that's you, why don't you just courageously raise your hand and say, John, today I want to connect with God. I want Him to come into my life, wherever you are. I'm going to wait a few more moments. I find in a moment like this that our head moves fast. We think through lots of things, but our heart moves slow. And this is a heart decision. This is a connecting with God moment that's so powerful. And God will be moving on your heart even now, even while I'm talking. I can sense God knocking on hearts, stirring on hearts because He loves you and He wants to get you out of the place that you're in and into a new place and a new day. But you have to take the step. He can't do it for you. He respects your will. You have to make the decision. Today I'm turning to God. I'm turning to Jesus. And so if that's you, just in this last 10, 15 seconds, and you need to make that decision, would you raise your hand as well and say, that's me too. I need to connect with God. I need to get right with God. Fantastic. Thank you. That's awesome. See your hand. Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. Let's just keep our eyes closed together right now. For those of you who raised your hand, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say a few words out loud, and I want you to say them after me. Church, I'd love you to pray this prayer together with these ones who are praying it for the first time. Pray it as if it's your first time. Pray it, pray it as if you're connecting with God for the very first time right now. Say these words after me. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me and for my sin. I'm sorry for going my way. I'm turning to you today to live your way. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and the power of God. I thank you today that I am forgiven, cleansed, and made right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Can we stand to our feet right now?